So today we're talking to Orestes. Uh, hi. Hello. Uh, great to have you on. I saw a lot of, uh, so, or uh, I saw some messages that you sent in different channels like Slack, and uh, you are also active on Closureverse. And I thought uh, you have a really diverse background. Uh, so I guess I just wanted to talk to you about Closure and all the things that uh, go around it. Um, so uh, where, how do we start this? Like, who is Orestes? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Um, hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. I guess it's been, it's been really great to be on this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, I, I could say a few words about myself and my background. Um, mm -hmm. I've been working as a developer, I think, for should be almost 20 years now. So my first my first paying job was at university, writing Java, having pretty much no idea mm -hmm. what I was doing, but had good guidance there. Mm -hmm. um, and then my first proper, proper job was actually writing Python, or actually a, a hosted version of Python called Iron Python, which was on .NET. Mm -hmm. And that was in London, and we were creating a an Excel replacement. So uh, that was very a very interesting product, which unfortunately died. So essentially, you would use a spreadsheet, and then it would create this Python program behind the scenes. Uh -huh. But you could actually also go the other way and write your Python functions and call them inside your spreadsheets, like formulae. Uh -huh. um, so, uh, and that was actually my first uh, my first touch with a hosted language. So it wasn't it was Python, but it was an implementation mm -hmm. of Python on Microsoft.NET. So you could get best of both worlds. You could get uh, the Python that you knew with pretty much working as you think, and you could have access to all the Microsoft Windows APIs, mm -hmm. so forms and whatever. So, so was. the was the idea that you would have sort of like Python in your Excel? Uh, not the Microsoft Excel product, but an alternative right. product, which was yeah. a spreadsheet program. Right. So uh, just as yeah. so just as VBA is in Excel, you have your product with Python in the cell, yeah. sort of. Yeah. yeah. So when mm -hmm. you call, a, when you use like in in a cell equals right. you know, sum, the right, right, right. sum would be in Excel a built-in function in in Resolver. That was the name of the product. Mm -hmm. It was a Python function, and you could define your own functions and do go crazy. Right. Um, but uh, the financial crisis of two thousand eight kind of put a put a stop. Mm -hmm. to that development. Um, and then after that, I took a weird left turn in my career in still programming, but I started doing uh, museum interactives with a small Canadian slash Australian company. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, you go into a museum and there's various screens around the place, uh, very common in North America, I guess, um, mm -hmm. in science museums and stuff. And uh, there's those interactives and you you know, you interact with the screen to learn something or to right. experience some technology or stuff like that. So mm -hmm. that was with uh, Objective-C and uh, it was on Max. So that meant that by that time Objective-C and we also used Python Objective-C bridge, which mm -hmm. again, a hosted, hosted version of Python. Uh, so mm -hmm. you could access natively Objective-C stuff using yeah. the C. Like Objective C, you could call right. it with a C convention, so that was easy. So the predecessor uh, of the Swift, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, mm -hmm. actually, Swift Swift was an Apple thing, but this was right. just a, a community I development uh, to call Objective C, mm -hmm. and that was a neat 
that was a neat, uh, I, I was doing that for nine years. Uh, eventually went on to use full on Objective-C with no Python mm -hmm. in there. Um, and uh, also that's where I started towards the last, like the, the second half of that uh, trajectory. I was also doing web development because a lot of times these interactives were complex and you needed central server somewhere. Yeah. With some data and API, something to like a CMS so that the, the curators of collections could upload content in there. Right. Um, and that's where I started to look around for web development languages. So mm -hmm. uh, back then, you know, JavaScript, still the backbone era, jQuery and backbone, if you want right. to be more structured. Uh, mm -hmm. And then uh, ES6 came out and I thought, Hey, look, they, you know, this is a modern version of JavaScript. I could try and use it. And right. uh, for limited things, it was actually quite okay. Yeah. Um, neat little language, a lot of new stuff with a map and a mm -hmm. set uh, that you could use to, uh, instead of the, or in addition to the built in object that JavaScript has. Yeah. Uh, so that was interesting, and then TypeScript came around, and I was excited right. because, oh, that was a modern JavaScript. But I found out that in the end, both ES6 and TypeScript, they don't actually change anything fundamentally about mm -hmm. JavaScript, right? So um, uh, it's still like additions. It's never a rethinking of what mm -hmm. the language could look like. And that's where mm -hmm. I first read about closure i was looking i was i found closure through like a a list i was making of languages that could compile right. to javascript mm -hmm. so uh, i think i was looking at elm at that point i never actually went around and tried that yeah um, i don't know if there was any others but closure closure was high on my list because it was you know both yeah. server I, and client mm -hmm. compiled to javascript it was a rethinking right um but i remember I mean, there is a, there is the Reason ML. Uh, yes, Reason. Yeah, that was the other one, like with Elm and Reason ML. Right, uh, and then there is also PureScript. Yes, that like the the Haskell related. Haskell in JavaScript, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think I was looking at back then at OCaml, which had uh, also a compiler to JavaScript. Yeah. Um, so I was looking at this this area, uh, and I have to confess, I think I looked at Clojure first. I looked at uh, the, the website that I look at the example program that used to be yeah. there. I don't know if it's still there. And just closed the tab. Like I couldn't read it. Like it was, I, di I didn't do any Lisp before that. So just mm -hmm. looking at that, I was like, right. no, that's not for me. I'll find right. something else. <laughs> um, and I don't, oh yeah. So that's when I had to, I'm just remembering here, this feels like six, six years ago, six yeah. or seven years ago. Um, but then I had to do, um, I, I was doing Python back then for the server together with a colleague of mine in that mm -hmm. little studio. Um, and he was a Twisted Python expert. I don't know if you've heard about Twisted. No. Um, Twisted is, is a Python library that is uh, mm -hmm. doing networking. So that was before all the async stuff. It was one of the first, if not the first library in mm -hmm. the whole ecosystem of these, uh, like not in Python, that introduced the deferred um, mm -hmm. thing. I think now in JavaScript, we call it the promise. 
right. but the, mm -hmm. the idea that you uh, encapsulate the result of, a, of an action into something, something real, and then you can attach callbacks and error mm -hmm. backs to that. Um, and, you know, it, having that around as, a, a, as an abstraction made having programs like, uh, it, it had a, a reactor, which is what in JavaScript now, it, there's also a reactor, you know, the, the whole thing of scheduling things on the on the main loop so they execute asynchronously or later. Right. Mm -hmm. So it had all that like 15 years ago. Uh, and it, it's still uh, around. It's still alive and kicking in a lot of the stuff. I think now they uh, moved into Python or versions mm -hmm. of that. Um, but we were doing network programs, right? We, with this, it made it possible. Like before that, you couldn't really do proper networking stuff in Python. Um, uh, but the problem was that you couldn't really, if things went wrong, you couldn't really debug anything. You had only still, you know, Python is as the, you could have multi-threaded code in Python, but it wasn't used because Python, like the execution of code only happens one thread at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, so you still are in this, the same way node has a single thread and everything runs at the same time. Yeah. Uh, debugging is a mess. Like the stack traces are all, all, all over the place. You can't mm -hmm. really observe what's going on. Mm -hmm. So that's when I ran into Elixir. Um, with mm -hmm. Elixir is a uh, is a language that I don't know if it compiles to Erlang or it. I think it compiles also to a, a bytecode that the Erlang virtual machine mm -hmm. can run. And that was like where. when yeah. I realized, oh look, there's this having a proper uh, proper hardened or you know proper designed virtual machine under your feet makes it for these things that these things like observability and debugability and all that stuff very easy mm -hmm. um, and in the context of what we were doing which is I will install this server side software on a machine in some closet of some museum in a faraway mm -hmm. land yeah. uh, I don't want to think about it anymore I want this program, that schedules the lights on and off of the museum to keep running forever. Mm -hmm. uh, it shouldn't have any bugs, it shouldn't have any memory leaks, it shouldn't have any uh, deadlocks, nothing, because there's no one around to restart it or there's no one around to debug it right. uh, so 10 years those, from now. Mm -hmm. So those machines are not connected to the internet, you just put them in the museum and then you connect the screens to them and what one screen is like one client or... Yeah, yeah, it differs from museum from 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 museum to museum, but there's no cloud element there. There's no external mm -hmm. access. Uh, they they have their internal network. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were using a VPN at the time to set it up and connect and observe uh, the first right. couple of months of the exhibition. Mm -hmm. But after that, the VPN gets either turned off or we hand over the keys to the museum people, the museum mm -hmm. IT people, and then we never listen back because yeah. they don't want to keep paying us right they don't right i think these days i, I don't know if it's changed in the last six years that i haven't been doing this but um they don't want to pay the subscription right they have a budget right. they want yeah. to pay for this new exhibition and Fixed they price want project right yeah um yeah. so elixir so, was sorry yeah. let me ask one more to think so you yeah. have you have this sort of server in this museum and you have different like screens and how yeah. do you decide like what is shown on each screen or is it all this all the time the same so the the 
the actual content, what is shown, is decided by the curators or whoever designed the actual exhibition. So mm -hmm. they will do the design of the room. And then mm -hmm. as, as part of the room, there will be this little interactive, which perhaps sometimes it's as simple as a looping video, right? Mm -hmm. um, but some some other times it could be a like you know um, a complex uh, application which you it could be like some a three D thing where you uh, manipulate things. It could be I think the most complex application. So, but uh, I'm trying to say it's all about what they want. So mm -hmm. we were we were writing bespoke applications. We didn't have like a, a suite of uh, you know three things and we just converted them mm -hmm. they would want something about you know what's the topic of this room oh it's indigenous people right so we, we will make uh this uh slideshow or mm -hmm. a looping video or uh, an educational question answer thing mm -hmm. um yeah and back in the day web development wasn't really um nowadays i think i would almost certainly do everything in a in a browser but mm -hmm. back then uh even looping video that loops forever right loops mm -hmm. for the whole day and doesn't skip audio and stuff like that it wasn't reliable mm -hmm. um to do in the browser or browsers didn't have the performance characteristics that they have now so that's why we were going with this relatively low level objective c thing because right. it uh, uh other other companies would use directly uh, game engines to have the full uh, capabilities of this because you want mm -hmm. the experience to be smooth. You don't want people to see the screen. You want people to see the content. Um, the, the most complex thing we ever did was this multi-room experience uh, where it was this aimed at school children that would visit this museum in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the curators would design the learning experience, so we would give them a few modules like, you know, just drag the correct answer over to the other side or select one of three answers and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, and uh, when you were done at one location of the museum, the, a map could come up, would come up, and then it would send you over to another side of the museum where a screen was waiting for you and your team. So you would mm -hmm. swipe your uh, the, your card, mm -hmm. installed custom build RFID readers. I had nothing to do with that, uh, but uh, it was really cool because there was um, yeah no central server, right? So it will it was all UDP packets flying all over the place to mm -hmm. uh, to decide which screen is now free, unused by the public, unused by another team. Let's reserve it and uh, guide you mm -hmm. from one place to the other. So, I mean, th this is an interesting topic, uh, yeah. but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just mentioning all this because it kind of shaped my, uh, my instincts on how to do software because mm -hmm. uh, you want to really make things bulletproof and you want to really reduce the on-call time. You don't want to be woken up mm -hmm. at the middle of the night when you're a small team uh, you don't want to be fixing things remotely. You want to build in as much as telemetry as you could. Yeah. Um, debug screens that people could uh, put on, so you can see. Oh, this is the the software is right, but the touch screen is out of alignment because we also had hardware issues, right? So you need to mm -hmm. you you grow like a talent over the years to to 
anticipate those things and it helped mm -hmm. that my other colleague was also kind of similar mind so we were a good team back then mm -hmm. um interesting yeah but at that point yeah i was uh, i was doing this elixir thing that was scheduling i think 100 machines and other appliances to turn on and off mm -hmm. at night based on a schedule that somebody put in Mm -hmm. uh, and you would have, I mean, it's conceptually simple, right? It's not a big deal. You, you send, uh, you make a TCP request uh, and wait for the response, and then uh, the machine would go to sleep or the uh, electronic appliance power strip would mm -hmm. turn something off, uh, some light and stuff like that. But making it robust and robust from a point of view that I was the one who would develop it, but I wouldn't be able to remember what the, you know, I would be like if if I had to redo it two years later, I would have to be able to understand the code, mm -hmm. um, and to be able to prove to some extent that, yeah, that's it. It's not going to fall down six months later, mm. because if some you know if some rogue machine doesn't ever reply, um, the you know you, the network is a finicky place. So you you think something times out, uh, but it times out five minutes, and now. Mm -hmm. What happens if you exhaust a thread pool or something? So Elixir gave me these uh, opportunities to prove to some extent that, no, if something goes wrong, this process will kick in and will attempt again. And uh, a single finicky appliance with a bad TCP stack wouldn't, um, would obviously malfunction itself, but it wouldn't take down the entire museum. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, having this kind of responsibility kind of pushes you towards these kinds of solutions. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I, but I had to learn Elixir and I had to learn functional programming with immutable data structures and stuff like that. But Elixir's syntax is very close to a modern, like Ruby kind of you know right. usual syntax that most people would have no problem reading. Mm -hmm. um, so to do that, I was doing the advent of code puzzles. I don't know if you've, you've mm -hmm. heard of yeah. that. Yeah, sure. every every Christmas time mm -hmm. in December it would start. So yeah, I was uh, I was learning to code functionally with recursion and stuff like that, mm -hmm. with a lot of limitations. Elixir is much more strict than Closure. Mm -hmm. um, with those things, you, there's no mutable structures anywhere, so you can't really escape. Uh, immutability, uh, even if it would make sense for a specific algorithm. Mm -hmm. uh, but Elixir doesn't compile to JavaScript, so it was a good decision back then. But it wasn't my, didn't fit my quest for the one language mm -hmm. that I could use for both. Um, and then next next winter, I said, okay, now I'll try Closure once more. Mm -hmm. uh, and now it was a bit easier because all the concepts I knew, and I could suddenly see the syntax with a little bit more understanding. Yeah. Um, so I was doing that in my spare time. I didn't really, I, I wasn't working at NOSCO yet. I was just learning Clojure for the fun of it Yeah. and kind of anticipating my next move. And then I got a little bit tired of working from home for all these years and doing these projects year after year. So I wanted to move into a company that was doing a product. Mm -hmm. uh, that was like, you know, we keep working on the same thing uh, over and over and improving it and having, right. you know, also a cloud component with customers paying. I didn't have, I didn't have a lot of experience there uh, mm -hmm. with how things are done outside of my little niche. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, back then I applied to NOSCO and NOSCO 
uh, was, is uh, to some extent a small company, 10, 15 people at the most, um, yeah. making this innovation platform for uh, large enterprises. So, you know, when, when a company has employees in the thousands, yeah, uh, uh, there is a, a start, like a need, that's my understanding of it, like a need for someone to organize innovation because it doesn't right. just happen spontaneously. You have, you might have an employee who is in one remote area of the organization and they have an idea, but how can they bring it forward? Right. Yeah. How can they bring it forward? So, mm -hmm. um, so there is this whole, this innovation departments and innovation initiatives and innovation mm -hmm. challenges and idea campaigns and all that stuff. And what Mosco does is we make this web based platform, like a cloud platform, which we sell to these companies and they can mm -hmm. use it as a foundation to run those things. So all employees gain access, uh, the innovation department will uh, gain admin rights and they will start creating their idea campaigns and announcing them and using it. And then employees would go in and submit ideas. And there's a whole bunch of backend processes that they have, mm -hmm. you know, you have 500 ideas or submissions you want to narrow it down to the top 10 so you can have a much more closer look. Um, mm -hmm. So that's what the platform does. We also have a okay. consulting arm which uh, teaches people about innovation uh, so mm -hmm. they can actually use the platform in a proper, in a good way and have results. Um, so this platform was built with uh, Node.js and uh, in the backend with MongoDB as the mm -hmm. database. And in the front end, it was a, it was it was an old project, right? So it was built back in the time where uh, React was only a few months mm -hmm. uh, old. So it was very new and untested. So the the founder or the CTO back then took the decision to go with a hand-grown jQuery and handlebars kind of templating mm -hmm. front end and uh, their own little data fetching technology with a web socket. So a kind of a little bit of an addiction to the shiny stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, Node was also untested. Right. Mongo was also untested. Uh, yeah. But it looked to be, I think back then the marketing was really strong. So right. uh, it looked to be, yeah, that's the, the new way to design applications. You don't want to go with Python and Ruby because right. they have this limitation of a single thread. Uh, no JS gives you async, which is better. That's how I remember these days. I don't know if you yeah. remember that era. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. of course, the async model and everybody talking about this and yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So oh. yeah, so they they actually did a pretty good job. I have to say, like they were able to get the platform off the ground. I think it was actually already a rewrite of a previous WordPress pasting, or I, I, it's lost in the midst of, midst of time. I don't have access to the mm -hmm. any code previous than this. But they, they managed to, to get the platform off the ground, and uh, they, uh, the architecture was that, that tightly coupled thing that, you know, you create a file somewhere, and then suddenly you have this this model available in a few places so you don't have to write too much code yeah um but as it turned out you know a few years down the line this is very restrictive and uh, hacks and phone hacks are piled on this thing because sure. you, you want to do something and you can't so you have to 
are the conditional here and an if there and an else there and Mm. Yeah, and and then the person who wrote the whole thing uh, left, and uh, a new a new guy took took over the CTO position and tried to make sense of the whole thing. And uh, it was obvious, like when I joined, mm-hmm. um, it was obvious that something needed to be done. And it, they actually started; they wanted to move away from Mongo to Postgres. Mm-hmm. They saw Mongo as something that's not. Uh, and understandably, it's not made for these kinds of things because it can't do joins really well. And if mm-hmm. it can't do the join, it's usually right. too slow. Um, so there was an initiative before I joined to move from Mongo to Postgres. But <laughs> it kind of snowballed, and I, I have my own snowball experiment. It snowballed into let's also write, uh, let's also rewrite from Node to Go. Uh, mm-hmm. So a big initiative, and that took. A year and a half, and eventually the business put an end of it, an end on that. So that was a year and a half of effort. Um, I don't know if I should say down the drain, but obviously from where I'm sitting, I don't see anything, uh, anything tangible coming mm-hmm. out of that. So yeah, that was a huge blow to the company's morale. I didn't know anything about this when I joined. Um, I see. It didn't come up in any. I was, you know, people were forward-looking when they were discussing the plans and stuff, so that it made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then I joined the company, and like three months later, I see, okay, this is. Uh, I I didn't. Uh, I couldn't see this from the outside, but this code base is not. Is not something I want to work uh, right. for a long time. Obviously, you know, you can make you, you could make things work. Uh, mm-hmm. But it it didn't have good bones, right? It didn't have the right. good foundation where you could say, you know, we could refactor, we could spend a few weeks doing the refactoring and then move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was no such thing. There was nothing right. you could refactor. Let me just uh, ask a couple of questions. Mm, yeah. Uh, so when you joined, you didn't know about this Go refactor? Uh, uh, I think it came up as a thing, but, you know, it was something of the past and it didn't right. matter now. Right. So, um, when you yeah. joined, the application was still uh, Mongo and Node.js. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so this whole, refactor failed. The whole failed. thing was just a failure. I think there's, I see. there's still right. some code in GitHub, but never, right. um, never something that was putting. It was never put in production. To right, say. Right, right. Mm. So then you're you're coming in and the morale is low. But still, the code base is the one that it was a bit like probably messed up and needs some kind of work. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so for the fix, the first six or seven or nine months, we were actually working on the Node code base, mm-hmm. right? And um, and I say now I speak with the hindsight of working on that thing for three years uh, yeah. in, in in the company or four four years now. Uh, but back then, you know, you're just discovering bit by bit because um, when the person who wrote most of the code and the architecture is gone, everybody else is kind of you're now into legacy mode, right? Because right. you you have to figure out if I change this, what else would will it affect? So you go into archaeologist, uh, scared to touch things because who knows if there's some code path somewhere. Mm-hmm. And we had instances where this was actually true, right? So some core model that by reading the code and the names chosen, you wouldn't think that this doesn't have to do anything with me. I'm working on a different stack. I'm creating a simple, you know, addition to the user model. But you realize there's some condition deep in the base 
base class mm -hmm. uh, that is doing some some work that shouldn't be done there. It should be done at the higher level mm -hmm. class, right? So, uh, and that's where you get scared to touch anything because who knows what what am I breaking now? Right. If I'm doing that, so uh, so when when I joined, we were already in legacy mode and trying to figure out how to best move forward. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why when I came and proposed to the CTO, then, hey, look, uh, I've been learning closure for the last nine months. It seems like a good candidate for um, for us to try a rewrite again. Mm -hmm. um, he was a Lisp enthusiast. He, he really liked the idea of Lisp, the elegance and stuff like that. So he mm -hmm. said, okay, let's go for it. Uh, and um, obviously that was a very hard sell to everybody else, including the development team, because they've seen right. the same movie before right, uh, right somebody right, right. comes yeah. up with the idea of let's rewrite and then it goes to shit so right um should i <laughs> give away the punchline we're still doing the rewrite right so we're not <laughs> we're, we're not done yet but the crucial yeah. thing the crucial difference is how how we ended how how we approach the thing okay um, and the crucial thing is we didn't try to make a rewrite from the bottom up what we ended up using, and I, let me see if I remember the name correctly, the, the pattern from, you know, these enterprise patterns that Martin yeah, Carter, yeah. I think, wrote. Um, it is the Strangler fig tree pattern or something like that. Okay. Um, and the idea, like the, the metaphor is uh, you are in a, like this, in some forest somewhere. Uh, mm -hmm. You have the big trees that are dying. Mm -hmm. uh, but even if they're dying, they're still big and they have a large canopy and they take away all the sunlight from the bottom of the forest. Mm -hmm. um, so what you do instead is a this strangler fig tree. I, I hope I have to look it up or yeah, look it up later, but it, it mm -hmm. climbs onto the trunk of the old tree and yeah. it goes really high up and uh, manages to reach to the sky and uh, it starts to open its leaves on top mm -hmm. of the old so you use the whatever is there as kind of a, a, a scaffolding so you can climb up right. uh, and it doesn't you so you don't aim to cut every tree down and then replant and wait you use mm -hmm. whatever is there as a stepping stone to get your thing mm -hmm. uh, working so that's what we did we we didn't say oh we'll start to rewrite everything all little bits of functionality in mm -hmm. we we did a little experiment to see okay right we we were cl closure novices every one of us right so i mm -hmm. had the most experience but it was very relatively little experience and no production experience mm -hmm. so we did a little bit of an experiment to see okay can we talk to mongo yes we can that's the cool thing about closure like the jvm um, because i was considering elixir because i had considerable more elixir experience right. and confidence but there was no official mongo mm -hmm. driver for elixir and i didn't right. want to start off with know a community effort to talk to your main database that's kind of a little bit it gives me it makes me uneasy to think about uh, oh yeah. we can't use this thing because now i have to write a mongo driver for that so yeah um, um sorry sorry let, let yeah. me stop it for a second let's go back so uh you convinced the cto to do the rewrite enclosure that's correct mm -hmm. and but you say the team was skeptical and the management was skeptical so how do you yeah. go about convincing those two teams? Yeah, so for the management, they were skeptical. Actually, the management was the easy bit. The management, they were skeptical. They're saying, look, we've seen this before. Yeah. Um, 
we trust we trusted the last person who tried to do it and it took one uh, one and a half years yeah. uh, and failed so why convince us why we should trust you so they were open-minded right they yeah. weren't immediately saying no but they were clear to say that look this happened before and it failed why is this time different um and the the whole point of this was uh look let's make uh let's make small time bounded experiments so let's say let's take four weeks uh, and see how far we can go in four weeks can we make a little bit of foundation and a, a small new feature in four weeks yeah. If so, we can continue. So that from the get-go, we said, we're not doing a rewrite. We are building a new feature just in a different language. So mm-hmm. we said, okay, what is the new feature we want to to build for mm-hmm. the product? Let's forget about languages. We want to build this feature about like a, a small dashboard with a graph mm-hmm. uh, to show the activity on the platform. So when people are logging in and stuff. Okay, so what is the... how? Can we build this with um, this new new language? Mm-hmm. Yes, we can. We have to, of course, like spend fifty or sixty or seventy percent of our budget doing foundational work, mm-hmm. getting them, you know, talking to the databases and figuring out all that stuff and authentication. Yeah. But we could do it, right? So, and then then they said, okay, well, if you say that uh, you'll you'll try uh, and the aim is to create something new at the end of it it's okay it seems like even if you fail uh even if you decide that it wasn't a good idea we still have a new feature um and we can always you know take the learnings and rewrite in mm-hmm. the old language yeah. um since you know when you develop a feature it's not only the code that takes time is also the design the decisions the back mm-hmm. and forth sure. uh feedback from customers so all of that stuff stays with you even if you and it's if it's we're talking about a small feature, it's easier to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So that's how we convinced management to let's let's start. Mm-hmm. And they knew they also knew that uh, things were going extremely slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they knew that they were seeing with their own eyes that things were not moving forward. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I was also a new addition to the team, so. They, I think they also saw it as an opportunity to try to invigorate a team with a new project. Yeah. Now that you know the new recruit comes in fresh-eyed and not so right. much right, <laughs> tired, right. and he has the energy, right? So. Yeah, and uh, so so how about the developers? How did you like convince? So the the, the stack was Mongo and Node.js, so probably people very familiar with JavaScript, probably with hmm. ES6 at this point. And how do you go about selling them closure? Yeah. So, the the CTO, uh, as I said, he was a he was a convert already. He yeah. was the one who were who was bearing the whole brunt of the mm-hmm. legacy stuff. Um, so yeah, he was he was okay from day one. Um, another guy, he was uh, a, a language enthusiast, so he saw this. Oh yeah, an opportunity to learn a new language. I mean, uh-huh. yeah. Um, so the team. Like so, he, here's I, I don't know if I would do anything different. To be honest, I don't know if even with what I know now. Yeah. Um, but introducing a new language to a team that didn't ask for it is not an easy task. Of course, yeah. Uh, it it won't go well. Like uh, some people had, uh, some people had uh, 
business interests like you know uh, last time we did it it was a horrible thing for business yeah uh, we had to lay off people because we missed a lot of sales because we didn't do anything new mm-hmm. and even if you promise them that look we're we know about this so we're not doing it this way this time yeah uh, they're still scared and when somebody is scared it's very hard to convince them with reason mm. um some other people they're more thinking uh look i don't think I don't know if I have the energy in me to learn a new language at this time in my life or in my career. I'm an expert at what I'm doing now. I will become a novice in this new language. Right. Um, so it's also yeah. a niche language, right? It's not, you know. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of concerns, right? Oh, we 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 won't be able to hire people. Um, there's no one in the city that is, we were in Copenhagen, by the way, which mm-hmm. is like, there's, there is a lot of developers there, but it's still, it's not, um, San Francisco, right? It's not London. Yeah. Uh, so it's not too many. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of pushback, a lot of pushback, a lot of arguments, a lot of, let's try to meet halfway, but in the end, uh, it was all resolved when people either uh, when people just moved on uh, to, mm-hmm. to, to, to new jobs. And uh, I really, uh, I personally, I was, <laughs> to be honest, I was also considering perhaps I should just find another job and let, let, let this company do what they want. But I really had this appreciation for the management and they were, you know, if you find good people to work with that um, uh, you, you appreciate and they appreciate you, Right. Um, you you want to stick around, right? You want to mm. stick around. So, right. um, as for the fears of like, and I, I think I should answer the fears of the the original fears. Um, so hiring people. Um, yeah. uh, it's interesting that because I I ended up hiring uh, a new team, so we are now a team of four people, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we were actually it was quite easy hiring people so um mm. it was a combination of uh, a niche language and you have the closure enthusiasts who want to work on closure mm-hmm. so you just have to find the right fit uh so we had a good experience uh, we went hiring remote mm-hmm. uh after some time it was also covid time so we went to hiring remote and there's so many people out there who want to work with closure in europe right. there's quite a lot of people um we also hired a developer from Pakistan, mm-hmm. uh, which you know the time difference wasn't that great. We could also work roughly at the same, mm-hmm. the same hours. Um, so we we also ended up tra- transitioning the culture from on site only to fully remote, at right. least for the developers. Um, mm-hmm. Copenhagen also is a nice city if you want to actually move and work from the office. So one developer. Uh, really, he w- wanted both to do closure and to move to Copenhagen. Yeah. Uh, so that was also. Uh, so we didn't find an any any time I put up this um, you know a job opening uh, because we don't hire all year round, right? We just right. when we have the budget and uh, uh, we say okay, let's let's hire. Mm-hmm. Um, I get more than enough good applications. Mm. Um, based on what I asked, hey, how did it go when you were trying to recruit JavaScript developers? Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard, right? There's so many of them. There's so yeah. many companies trying to attract JavaScript developers. How do you stand out? It's very hard. So hiring mm. wasn't difficult. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what else was the thing? Uh, the business side of things. So um, the business side was actually, it's what sold management because they saw that, yes, uh, uh, you spend a little bit of time doing a little bit of, you know, architecture or a little bit of foundational work. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, we have a new feature, right? We have right. a new feature. It works. It looks and feels as the old stuff, so it doesn't feel like a jarring new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we just kept kept on from 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 then on. We kept adding feature by feature, and mm. whenever it made sense, we st- re- rewrote a thing to the new code, mainly for UI uh, mm-hmm. reasons, because. Uh, if you have a UI based thing, you have right. to, you, it has to mesh nicely together. Right. Um, so on the front end, you're using ClojureScript? Yeah. Yeah. And, we are using mm-hmm. ClojureScript and React. We don't use Reagent. We use mm-hmm. uh, AHX, which was one of the earliest, I think, pure React books based mm-hmm. uh, applications, uh, sorry, libraries. Uh, we use, yeah. And, Nothing much more, I think. We don't use any fancy uh, architectures. Uh, I created a small library called Reseta for state management, which is uh-huh. essentially uses hooks for React behind the scenes, and it's uh, observing an atom whenever that atom changes, uh, run some updates, some components that uh-huh. are listening to that. So very very simple library like it's extremely simple implementation mm-hmm. um, and right. we use graphql as well mm-hmm. so another decision right so uh, if i could say about rewrites in general um, yeah so uh we we started with the explicit goal that the old should live with the new or the new should live with the old so the first meeting point was the mongo database we didn't want to change that Mm-hmm. Because if you change databases, then you're in a world of pain. But uh, we said yeah. now, you know, you you didn't. We didn't change the database, and we didn't change the structure of the database. So the new code could write something in, and the old code could read it back, uh, and vice versa. Yeah. So the database became an obvious point of synchronization. So you could um, you could just you know, use this as a single source of truth, and then. Uh, you're free to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other thing we had to do is um, we had to come up with an API specification. How does the server talk to the right. uh, to the browser? And unfortunately, the way it was done in the old code, we couldn't leverage any API because there was no API. It was a WebSocket based mm-hmm. uh, thing where you send a message and you yeah. get the response back. Um, but the problem with WebSockets is that you can't put a proxy server onto a WebSocket, or I guess you could, but it would become a huge operational right. burden to try to look at that. And it wasn't very well defined. There, there wasn't an API mm-hmm. specification, even like a place we could say, uh, here's how it looks like. I could call this and get this back. It was all based on inspections in the console yeah. Uh, this is how it works. So we were really into legacy mode mm-hmm. uh, back then. So we said, okay, we need an API specification, and we know 
that we need re not relation but related data right so mm -hmm. you you fetch a post and together with the post you fetch um a, ca a calculated attribute like the number of likes and together with that you get the comments mm -hmm. and together with each comment you get the author uh, mm -hmm. So you do you do fewer requests. You don't want to hit six or seven endpoints for all those things yeah. uh, one by one. So the old API was kind of doing something like that already. So GraphQL, um, which has this concept built in, yeah. uh, felt like a good fit. Um, but another consideration of why let's use GraphQL is that if say we say we did a little bit of development with GraphQL and Closure and things didn't work out. We could still keep GraphQL, right? Uh, GraphQL is a specification. We, we could keep all the API modeling we did, mm -hmm. even keep the old closure code working mm -hmm. uh, and powering the GraphQL API and then do the front end in something else. Perhaps, you know, closure on the server was a good idea, but closure on the browser, mm -hmm. not so much. Uh, so we would switch to React half point with this whole experiment. Yeah. So having at least uh, these um, an API that's very concrete and very agnostic of what's going on. Like, mm -hmm. how how is GraphQL powered? You have no idea. You don't know. You, you shouldn't know. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't want to know. So, um, so we we had this thing. Okay, let's use GraphQL because we can keep it if we undo if we abort the experiment. Right. Let's use something based on React because mm -hmm. we could very easily rewrite components from Hiccup to JSX, right? We could, mm -hmm. It would be a very, uh, you know, very easy task mm -hmm. to do. It wouldn't require complex architecture. So we were, the very early decisions made was, let's make this easy to exit uh, if things go wrong. We don't want to end up six months in with nothing to show. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so we did, uh, we created a closure application on the backend yeah. based on uh, pedestal for the web stuff mm -hmm. uh, just because it felt like the most batteries included thing right. and uh, the logging all figured out uh, web sockets already had mm -hmm. uh, a lot of interceptors plus whatever ring has to offer yeah. uh, and also Lasinia, right. which is the GraphQL library which mm -hmm. also had integration with pedestal so um, it was actually very easy to do. So uh, that was the GraphQL server. And the way we integrated with the front-end uh, operations-wise is we just spun up a new environment in mm -hmm. AWS. Um, we actually, we were also transitioning from uh, from Rackspace to AWS at the same time. So a oh, lot wow. of transitions going on yeah. Yeah. at the same time. But I think that was, we, we finished most of, Oh, no, I think, anyway, no, we, it coincided. So we had to figure out how to deploy in Rackspace as well. But the whole idea is we, we spun up a new server. Yeah. Um, and we wrote a little thing on Node that was proxying GraphQL calls to the other server. Mm -hmm. um, so a GraphQL call would actually first hit the Node server. Mm -hmm. It would uh, proxy it to the underlying closure or to the separate closure server and passing in the cookie and everything. Um, so very like rough, like the proxy call was very uh, transparent. It wasn't doing any logic in the node side. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So and why not we call were, the, the GraphQL server directly? Uh, because we wanted to eventually drop that, so we wanted to make sure that the GraphQL server in Clojure could stand alone mm -hmm. uh, without any intermediate layer. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was just a network call at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, then, and we didn't want to write any node code, any more node code that we didn't have right. to. So we kept adding a few bits and bobs to the node code, but uh, to, to support this thing and to, to fix see. things that didn't make sense to rewrite at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but the Clojure server, we were using cookies for authentication, which is really good because it's very easy to rewrite the cookie authentication logic uh, in, in Clojure. Just read the cookie, mm -hmm. validate it against the database, and you get a user back, and then you, yeah. you move on. Um, yeah, so... That was how the backend was working. And yeah, like reading and writing to Mongo was easy and GraphQL gives you a lot of direction. So for every query or mutation, right. you just write the function in Clojure, right? That's how Lassini works. You write right. a function and you return the correct shape of data. Yeah. And that's it. Mm. So that was the backend. Um, so where do you where do you stand now when it comes to the rewrite? Like where are you? How much do you have left? Or how? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it by rating it on your platform and telling others about it. You can also support it directly by buying subscription at closure.stream or sponsoring it on GitHub sponsors. All the details in the show notes below.